Hi, and welcome to the podcast from Knox Presbyterian Church in McDonald's Corners, Ontario. Knox is part of a three-church charge between Elfin, Snow Road, and McDonald's Corners. Each Sunday, there's a 9.30 a.m. service in Elfin or Snow Road, and then again at Knox in McDonald's Corners. If you are able to join us next week, we'd love to see you at one of our services. If not, we hope this reaches you wherever you are. This audio recording is from the 11 a.m. service with Pastor Philip Roblard. For more information, please contact us on our Facebook page. Do you know if it's a week long? It's a week long. 
shiver applies to you. She ran the water.
are you gonna are you gonna go to are you gonna go to, uh, uh, swim? Are you gonna swim at all? Yes. Oh, yes. of course. Yes. And where are you gonna go?
But we used to sing it back in Toronto, and it was a very simple verse, and it was, it was simply, these are the friends, these are the friends that the Lord has given, because that's what we are. And we usually greet one another while we're singing. So I'll sing it so you can greet each other, and then uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we end this song on a very affirming note, because we're all family. We're all part of the family of God. These are my friends. These are the friends of the Lord.
know they get everything they want, almost. And so, as she sat down and, and the uh, flight attendant looked at her and said, you're not supposed to be in here. Um, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't stay here. You've got to go back to your seat uh, on regular class. And, and the young lady said, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, and I'm going to Toronto. And I'm staying right here. So she thinks to herself, okay, I'm not going to move this lady, so I better go and see if the co-pilot can talk to her. So the co-pilot said, sure, I'll give her a whirl. And with that, he went in and, and told her that she ought to go back to her seat in cabin class. And, and she said, I'm staying right here. I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, and I'm going to Toronto. And so the co-pilot thought, oh, there's nothing I can do it. I'm sure that the authority of the, of the pilot himself, the captain, will bear more weight. And so with that, he went to him and said, look, uh, we'll put this on automatic, and why don't you go and talk to this lady? And he did. And he, as he was leaving the cabin, of the, he was leaving the cockpit, he said to them, I'm married to a blonde, so I think I'll be able to communicate and with that, he went, was back in about five minutes, and, and they said, how'd you do that? She went back to cabin, to, to her, her seat, and, and what'd you say to her? And he said to her, when she said, I'm long, I'm beautiful, I'm headed for Toronto. He said, I said to her, none of the people in first class are going to Toronto. <laughs> and she went to her seat. Well, you know, uh, it's a true story. I'm not, I'm not, I'm telling you the absolute truth. But when I heard the story, I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's getting to the point. The fact is that uh, getting the job done does take a little bit of preparation and anticipation of what should be, could be right. Uh, when Joel read that passage, I said to myself, you know, we really, we really are in this day and age when the church, especially the Presbyterian church, is seeing numbers drop, except amongst some of the um, some of the other groups that are new, Irdo uh, language church at Grace, where I was, uh, they are still going strong and have probably, in one of their services in the afternoon, uh, they have about, um, well, well over 100 people. And uh, then they have two other services, and the contemporary service is full. The, uh, the regular service uh, is almost empty because people have died off. Those people that were in the, the regular service back when I was there, well, most of them are a lot older. And as a matter of fact, um, before Joel Gray, that was the last pastor there, before Joel Gray, uh, retired, uh, he said that he did, in the last two years, uh, 16 funerals. Well, I can understand why, why the numbers there are getting to be pretty thin uh, in, the, in the traditional service. But the fact remains that uh, the new pastor, um, uh, and he's, he's Korean actually, they couldn't find anybody that would come to the church and be able to deliver two different services. And he came, and I understand that they're going to also be starting a Korean service, because he also speaks uh, fluent Korean, because he's born and bred in Korea, and speaks uh, absolute flawless English. Anyway, times are changing. But one of the things we have to understand is that we still are called to reach those in our community who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so Jesus says to his disciples, or the 70 that were going out, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into the harvest. It's a fact, you know, and, uh, and it's a startling one, but it's actually true. Did you know that Jesus and politicians have a lot in common? 
And I know that comes as a bit of a surprise, especially if you, well, if you look at politicians and uh, as being uh, a, a dark business, uh, then you know that uh, sometimes their promises don't amount to much. The difference between Jesus, in fact, and politicians is that uh, Jesus, when he made a promise, he came through with it. Politicians not so much. <coughs> um, when Reagan, President Reagan, was elected uh, as president and then re-elected the second time, the second term, he asked the same question to the public. Are you better off now than four years ago? And the first time, people answered no and elected Reagan for the promises they felt was going to be better. And then four years later, they responded to the same question as a yes. And, of course, Reagan was elected for another term, another four years. Well, they may have a lot in common. Jesus and politicians may have a lot in common. But the only thing is, is that both of them promised a little girl asked her mother whether all fairy tales began with once upon a time. And the mother replied, no, today most of them begin with if I'm elected. <laughs> Jesus made promises, but they were real, and he came through with the goods. 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised something that a lot of people had promised over the uh, years of their history but nobody produced. He said he came to bring the kingdom of God to fruition. The rule of God's righteousness in the world was coming. For 900 years, Jews had been hoping for a restoration of that glorious utopia, well, kingdom anyway, of, of David and then Solomon. For 500 years, they'd been longing for an end to the tyranny of foreigners, and a return to prosperity and freedom. In Jesus' time, the longings and expectations were really at an all-time high. For Jews of that time, the hope was that maybe this was the Messiah. Because you see, a few had come and gone. And uh, usually when Rome heard about some guy who was going to be their Messiah or the new king, why, they made sure that they were exterminated. Even in the time that Jesus was, was born into this world, the emperor decided that he would kill all those children who were two and under, so there'd be no chance of a king coming to full life. But Jesus came along. That's why his parents skipped town in, in, the, in the country and went over to another land. Well, there was lots of things that were going on during this time. And Jesus comes on the scene and he's announcing to everybody who listen, and people were listening, they came by the thousands to hear him preach, that the kingdom of God is here now. And for us today, the kingdom of God is here now. All of us. Jesus appeared to us, to the church, to the expected church, not the visible church, but the expected church, and said, you know, my kingdom is now. And we need to remember that. Because sometimes, and I've been as guilty of it as anybody, I'm kind of thinking, things are good. Life is great. The people at McDonald's Corners and Elfin and Snow Road are wonderful people. I... I think this is, this is a great time to be alive. But the kingdom of God, as a matter of fact, is happening to, as we speak. I don't know if you're aware, but it's been you people that have been seeing uh, um, miracles happen in this, in this community. Uh, matter of fact, I went to see George Braithwaite, I think that's how you say it, uh, in a hospital. He had it, for those of you who may not know, he I guess served on council here in the area, and uh, George decided to cut down a tree. And, uh, and Gordon, correcting me on his age, he 
because he's supposed to be as old as me. And that sounds like he's too old to be my contemporary. But anyway, this uh, is George said to me when I went to visit him in the hospital, because a tree fell and fell the wrong way, and it ended up on his, on his back. He broke uh, most of his ribs uh, and uh, cracked a vertebrae in his neck, and uh, uh, he's lucky to be alive. But when you're over 80, I won't, I won't say anything about what he told me his age was, but when you're over 80, trying to have him with chainsaw. Um, chances are that uh, maybe something bad could, can happen. But he said to me while I went to visit him, he said, you know, I said, I guess maybe people are still praying for me. And I said, yeah, they probably are. As a matter of fact, you can guarantee it now that the word's gotten out that, uh, that you've been hurt, they're praying for you. He looks pretty good, isn't it? I was surprised. Uh, he has a neck brace on, of course, because of his, his neck. He has a uh, he has a bandages around his chest, and I guess they had to uh, uh, actually bring a few of those together because some of them were cracked right near the back of the back. So in other words, the whole thing was floating. Well, there were a few of those that were that bad, and then the others were shorter breaks. And, uh, and uh, they left those, but they repaired the ones they could. Well, he's lucky to be alive, but I, I don't believe any in luck when it comes to those kinds of things. I believe God has his hand on George. And he promised me before I left. He said, you know what? You're the first pastor that's visited me in 25 years. I didn't comment. I, didn't, I don't know. But that's what he said. And I, I said to him, well, I'm here now. And I said, I think I want to see you in church when you get back on your feet. And he said, Reverend, you can count on it. Well, I'm going to hold him to it. I know where he lives. Uh, the fact remains that it's, it's so important for us as a people of God to recognize that the kingdom of God is now and that we've got to reach the people that are within well, throw, throwing distance from where we live. Jesus was promising a new and better way. Because that, he's like them, he's like politicians in a way, because he told them that the struggle that they were experiencing was coming to an end. He was announcing that the kingdom was here. He began to raise expectations, and of course he was able to heal people. He was able to do it, not by himself, but with the fact that he began something called delegating. It's important to delegate. It's very important for us to get the job done. Because you see, one and a half billion people in this world are, call themselves Christian. Now, of course, some of them are more Christian than others, but we won't even go there. The fact remains that that's the claim. And Jesus obviously got the message across to those who were his followers because he sends out 70 of them and says, I don't want you going to the Jews. I want you to go to them as well, but I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go and see the Samaritans. And you got to understand, Jewish people hated. No, loathed. That's a better word, isn't it? Loathed Samaritans. Why? Because they didn't marry and they weren't pure anymore. I'm not going to get any further into that, but that's, that's what was happening. And so to get the job done, Jesus is saying, them, I'm sorry. The exclusive club that seemingly has, has penetrated the entire Jewish people, they've got to understand that now I'm coming for the rest. I want to reach those that aren't Jewish, that aren't remotely Jewish, that are Gentiles and even pagans. I want you to preach to them. So he delegated it to 70 people. And the delegation, delegation is more difficult than it sounds. Delegation is especially difficult when um, there are talented and extraordinary leaders. Well, my job as a pastor is to give you the tools to be able to reach into your community. That, that's my job. 
That's why I'm here. Oh, I'm here also to complement what God is calling you to do. But more than that, I've got to make sure that you're equipped. And if you're not equipped, then God will hold me accountable. Now, I'm not laying a huge guilt trip on myself at all. Because I will equip. That's what God's called me to do. I've been able to do it in almost every church I've ever been in. And when they didn't, well, I once did that to a church years ago as a young pastor, and I just <coughs> said, Lord, these people didn't receive me, and yet I preached your word, and I know I did. And I remember getting out of the, the moving truck I had rented, and I had a friend of mine, one of the people from the church, I said, excuse me, I got a job to do. And with that, I got out, and I swept the dust off my feet. I've never been back to that community since. They have had more problems at that church than I spoke to the district superintendent, who happens to be a very close friend of mine. And uh, he's actually uh, at, a, at a seminary now. He said to me, he said, Phil, he said, I spent more time at that church than all the other churches in my entire district. And the fact is, he said, I was able to go to bat for the young man that was a pastor because he'd been my associate in Sarnia for six and a half years. So I knew what he was like. I knew that he was a man after God's own heart. And I said, well, you weren't there for me. <laughs> no, I said, but I wasn't the DS at the time either. The fact is that that, um, that church went through a continual, it seemed like event after event after event after event. And that young minister that followed me. I knew him because he came from Ottawa. And uh, it just will kill him. It just will kill him. And uh, his name is Les. And Les is one of the finest young men I have ever met. Now he's not too young men. He's in his, he's in his early 60s. But the fact remains that he came with his whole heart, gave it everything he had. Well, I know what he gave. He would have had to give. Well, the fact is, delegation is more difficult than it sounds. Delegation is especially difficult for talented and extraordinary leaders, and even more difficult for leaders who seem to have a special calling in their lives. Well, 13 centuries before Christ, Moses successfully led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt towards the freedom of the Promised Land, and Moses had his own problems with a somewhat rebellious and cantankerous group. Now that isn't you. I want you to know that. That's not you. But he complained to God. I am not able to carry out all that I'm not able to carry all this people alone. Here he was feeling like he was carrying a million and a half people on his shoulders. That's what he was feeling. And he says to God, the burden is too heavy for me. And in Numbers 11 and 14, Moses was so discouraged, he asked God to kill him unless he helped him. It's a good way to twist God's arm. <laughs> the fact remains, God asked Moses to gather 70 men, just like Jesus did, who he knew to be natural leaders and officers and officials to bring them to the tent where they meet, met to 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 meet with God, and that's where God manifested his presence to them. God said, I will come now, I will talk with them there, I will take some of the spirit which is upon you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden with you as a people, that you may not bear it by yourself. I'm very fortunate here at this church. We have wonderful elders, we have managers that are doing more than their their work. I thank God for each one because I know that without them I can do nothing. I'll accomplish nothing. So God asks Moses to do the same thing and then he uh, through his son Jesus Christ gathers 70 men around him. 13 centuries later Jesus recruited men to help him spread the word about the new kingdom. In Jesus' case, 
The 70 signified something more than what we may think of. Because the fact is that it was said in, that, in the then known world there were 70 countries. And so God was kind of, or Jesus was kind of telling them that they, they needed to go to all these countries. They were announced the kingdom of God, not only the Jews, but Samaritans, Gentiles, and Jews. In Jesus' day, it was popularly uh, a custom that you drew leaders who showed potential. It's a novel idea. But the fact remains that that's what he did. He told them now that all the outsiders were now to be invited and become insiders. And so he delegated away the ministry. Besides, delegating, he needed to find those people first. And you know, there's all kinds of people in the church who are waiting to be recognized and given a chance to use their ability for a greater cause. The leader who delegates wisely can multiply his effect exponentially. I said in this morning service, and I'm going to say it again, the first service I should say, and say it again. Mark Scar, pastor, senior pastor of a Woodville Church uh, used to do about 5,000, over 5,000 visits every year. Now that sounds like an astronomical number, but when you've got a congregation of uh, some uh, eight or 9,000 people, then I can understand, accept that. How do you get that many done? Well, he was a pro at He should be teaching uh, uh, pastoral care because he's probably one of the best I've ever seen. He visited my brother-in-law, Barry Schemer, uh, I'll bet. I'll bet every day, every day he was in the hospital in intensive care. He went to see him. And, uh, and my brother said to me, you know, I don't know if there's a finer pastor in the world except him. And I said, I think you're right. But then, one of the elders came along to him and said, yeah, well, why are you doing it all on your, on your own? I, I, you know, use me. Use us as elders. <laughs> so with that, he saw some people with some potential, and now he's, he's probably getting over 10,000 visits in every year, but not him doing it all. As a matter of fact, his numbers have dropped down over the last over the last year because he's surrounded himself with people and he taught his associates how to visit, how to make it a short thing, not taking an hour, but, but five, ten minutes. Well, that, that may work in the city, but I'm not sure it works everywhere. And so it's good to know that we have elders and we need to do more delegating, giving our, ourselves away. When spirit-filled people like Moses and the 70 elders that were given challenges and responsibilities, you know there's marvelous results that take place in the kingdom of God. Get the job done, delegate. Second thing is discovering new opportunities. They tell us that one of the common mistakes of people, businesses, and politicians who fail is their inability and unwillingness to discover new opportunities. Nearly every marketing success story in the last century has had to do has had to do with building the proverbial better mousetrap, so to speak, and telling people about it. But you can't do it the same way you always did. To do the same thing that you've always done, we'll reap a harvest of exactly the same thing and end up. Everybody gets tired of it. And I know that because I've been a pastor long enough to, to, to see the results of it. Think of it. For centuries, people thought travel by horseback and horse-drawn buggy, not so long ago either, was the way to go until the automobile came along. And it was met with skepticism. People thought, man, going 30 miles an hour? Unbelievable. Now the train can do that when you were enclosed. And, but, but, but having an open air concept on a vehicle was unbelievable. And of 
course, automobiles got faster. And if automobiles weren't fast enough, then along came the airplane that was a defiance of God's law. And people were saying, if God intended men to fly, he would have given them wings. You ever heard that? Yeah. Some can still remember people who made those kinds of statements. Failure often occurs in the church when we believe that the way we've always done it is the way we should always do it. Failure is often the inability to accept new realities. In Toronto, the last Howard Johnson Hotel is sitting there on a university campus now. And the, the reason <coughs> is, is Howard Johnson donated it because they figured nobody wanted it where it was. It was right near the, um, the Centennial College. And that uh, place is, uh, is uh, still sitting there and it's supposedly being used for, for students, dorms. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful place. The trouble is it's still vacant. There's nobody there. I mean, I've seen the odd few cars that are there. Maybe it's the cleaning staff. I don't know. But it's still sitting there. And it's because it's not serving uh, as a hotel anymore. And it's not really made the transition over to becoming a student, a student facility. They fell on bad times because they took their definitions of reality from the past and have never pulled themselves into the future. You know, sometimes families fall into, the, uh, uh, into that kind of a, of a motif. Think of how often we pass on bad habits from one generation to the next because we think that we're normal and they're not. Think of it now. I have uh, watched my kids. They are so individual. I'm glad I only <laughs> had two because I couldn't imagine. Some of the other families, like Josh and Kristen, who have four, five, four. And four is enough, I'm sure. <laughs> but the fact is that, that we have, and they're all different. How could that be possible when it's the same people that produce them? It's an amazing thing. I always find that amazing. I, I have a daughter, uh, one daughter, who is not like me and not like Catherine, but has kind of reaped a harvest of the best of both our traits. And I have another daughter that's very much like Catherine and a little like me, but I like her better. And it's probably because she's a lot like Catherine. And I did marry that lady. And we've been married happily, hopefully, for the last 47 years. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting how families fall into form. And we think we should treat them the same way, but they're different. They look different. They may have some of our idiosyncrasies, but they're different. The fact is that, um, tragically, children who are physically and sexually abused turn around and physically and sexually abuse their own children. That's happened time and time again, and I was in the counseling field, I know exactly what I'm saying. More subtly and tragically, though, is we pass on our spiritual and psychological uh, ways of doing things from generation to generation. Rather than discovering new opportunities for our family patterns and realities, we just repeat the old. And that's not what God ever intended. After all, He treats us the same. No, he doesn't. He treats us individually. The fact that he has a church and they come together is, is, is a reality that we, we thank God for and that we accept everybody as they are. Why? Because you have gifts that I will never have and I have gifts that, well, some people may have, but, but there's a whole lot more gifts and the church becomes that much more effective when all of those gifts culminate to bring about the will of God. We have so many talented people in this church. The fact is that the church is dying because we just don't want to try something different. I know. I've been part of the church for now 44 years. Jesus faced a similar problem. Many of his contemporaries assumed the kingdom of God 
consisted of restoring a small but prosperous and powerful and prolific Davidic kingdom. Jewish exclusivism started by Ezra and Nehemiah to address a need that, that was a problem from the past, but it would define the future because of the past. Jesus, as always, was a revolutionary. He appointed, he appointed 70 people to go and do all the work, but giving away the principles of the kingdom, his kingdom, that were not exclusive, but was inclusive. Universal, but not provincial. The fields are white under harvest, he said to seven. And if they asked where, he replied to look beyond their own fields, beyond their own backyard, beyond their own past definitions of reality. And that's what the church is facing today. The Roman Catholic Church is experiencing that today. You know that they have very few Caucasian priests in Newfoundland, only in the large centers. The rest of them are all people of color. Filipino, I know my, my, uh, uh, my in-laws, my son-in-law's parents, they go to a Roman Catholic church, they couldn't find a priest for a long time, and then they finally found one from the Philippines. He's an evangelical, started to teach them contemporary worship. Now, the ones that we evangelize, they're coming back to evangelize us in the Presbyterian Church, Koreans. In my church that I, that I pastored, Grace Church, senior pastor there, many years ago. The fact is that today, uh, they've grown, but they've, uh, they've lost a lot of people. But I remember when we introduced the, a, a, a contemporary service, oh my goodness, you'd think that the devil would come personified. And, um, and, and I was the devil. <laughs> But I didn't lead the services. I got people who were much better at it than me and found a young couple. She is now in full-time ministry. She, got her, she became an ordained Presbyterian minister and, and she's doing a bang-up job in, in, uh, in Pickering. And um, I tell you, just a wonderful lady and they're a wonderful couple because both of them love the Lord. But they decided to, to, to bring into their group some of the young people of the church, you know, some of those young people are still leading worship there. They're not young anymore, though. They're adults that have their own kids. But they're also teaching their kids the instruments that they used. We used to have a cellist, we had a flutist, a flautist, a drummer. Uh, before we had Keith, he's still there. Uh, no, no, pardon me. He's he's down at the, the church where Mona and uh, and uh, Brian are, and you know things change. We have to realize though that if we don't take the time to intentionally change, and and, and wait on the Lord, understand that God, in His mercy and in His love, has ordained frail human people like me to bring about His kingdom. People like you. And Jesus was a revolutionary. He wanted to see things change. The last thing, though, not only is, is delegation important, not only is discovering new ways of, of expressing ourselves in worship, but the last thing is dedication to the task. You will note that after Jesus pointed out that the fields were white under harvest, he said to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that we bring new laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, for dedicated laborers. If we want to get the job done, we'll dedicate ourselves to him. One, one, one reason people are not dedicating themselves to the to the kingdom is that they're finding it hard to know. Thank you for tuning into this week's service. Again, we would love to have you join us at one of our two Sunday morning services 
First at 9.30 in either Elfin or Snow Road. We alternate week week after week throughout the summer. And then in the winter, we're only in Elfin. And then again at 11 a.m. in McDonald's Corners. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or call us at the number in the bulletin. We hope to hear from you soon, and we hope that this message has reached you wherever you are.